Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, March the 16th, 2023. It is currently 12.57 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. For 2,000 years, Christianity has struggled with some very important concepts. Now, a lot of people may try to play down this struggle. A lot of people may try to play down the constant disagreement, but I think it's very fair to say that for basically 2,000 years in church history, Christianity has struggled and disagreed and fought and argued about concepts related to salvation, especially the connection the association, the the way they work or don't work together when it comes to the idea of salvation and works. What is the relation? What is the correlation? What is the connection between salvation and works? Some have argued that works are essential for salvation. Others are like, no, 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 no. We're not saved by our works, but our works prove our salvation. And it goes on and on. How many works? What works? This work? Like, and it just on and on and on and on. Are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? Does grace alone save us or is it grace plus works? Is it grace alone, but then the works prove that we received grace alone? Are we saved by an imputed or an infused righteousness? We could go on and on. The, 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 pot, the, the apparent conflict between, say, something like Romans versus James. And we, I mean, this, this, this is, it's been a struggle for 2,000 years. There's just no way to get around that. You can play it down, you can pretend, but there has not been agreement. Go read the early church fathers. Just, just, just look throughout church history. And, and church, the Christian church has split into different factions and different groups and different streams of theology and trying to figure out how this all works or how it doesn't work, depending on your perspective. So we just have to start right here. And if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know we've been doing a series on law and gospel, almost 80 episodes now. That's about almost 80 hours of teaching on the proper distinction between law and gospel, and a lot of issues about grace, salvation, works, 
law, gospel, all of that has been talked about over and over and over and over and over and over again. So I would definitely challenge anyone who has questions to start working through that series and then email me after every episode and we can struggle through it together. We may never come to an agreement, but at least we can work together. Um, And then in a number of other podcast series that we have done, some of these same issues have arisen once again to the surface about this relationship, this this understanding between works and salvation or works and assurance. I mean, you throw in assurance there as well. Are we assured? What gives us assurance? In a sense, gospel or law? What gives us assurance? Grace or works? What that, that comes into play with the entire situation as well. But there's this never-ending battle and never ending struggle. And whenever you, whenever in any individual, whether it's a pastor, a podcaster, Sunday school teacher, small group leader, whenever anyone steps into the middle of that battle, trying to offer a perspective or to challenge some thinking, you're going to end up getting shot by someone. And and I'm saying figuratively speaking, because you're going to tick someone off because the Christian church is so divided on it. Well, look, we can say all day that, no, the word of God is the final authority and, and, and the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. The point is, is clearly nobody can agree on what the scriptures actually say. And if the Holy Spirit is supposedly leading us into all truth, clearly he's leading us into all different truths because there's literally no agreement on some of these very essential issues pertaining to things like salvation, works, assurance, grace, gospel, law. And I can't speak for you, but for me, it's maddening. For me, it's discouraging. For me, it's depressing. For me, it's frustrating. For me, it just, I just, I get so tired of it. But I'm always willing to try to continue to work through it, no matter how many people it makes angry. I'm just going to continue to point out the fact that there's just widespread disagreement on some of these issues and do my best to address the controversies wherever I can. And so today, March the 16th, 2023, At 10.45 a.m. Central Time, I received an email. And I'm going to be working a little bit through this email and just trying to address some of these issues. But let me say this again. One of the reasons I spent five minutes in that introduction is because I want to make it very clear to the person who emailed me, there aren't any simple answers. If there were simple answers, there wouldn't be 2,000 years of disagreement. If there were simple answers, we would all agree, but nobody agrees. So there, so any answer I give you, you're going to, you're either you yourself are going to immediately disagree with me, or you're going to immediately know that there are other people out there who say something completely different than what I'm going to say, because there isn't any simple answer to these issues. So what I have a tendency to do in some of these issues is I have a tendency to step back and try to step away from the fighting and the arguing and just try to ask logical questions about like, well, logically, where, where, what are our options if we think about this logically? Because I believe so much of the arguments within Christianity, they never take their conclusions to their, it's logical conclusion. Like they come to a conclusion, but if you take their conclusion and take it to a logical conclusion, you end up in a place that they would not want to be in, but it's the only place you can go to if you think about it logically. So I'm going to do a little bit of that. But I hope that this will prove to be somewhat beneficial to the person who emailed me and to others who may listen. So are you ready? 
Here is the email. I just finished the dazed and confused episode on 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Well, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Either they're dazed and confused because of me and the way I presented that information, or they were just dazed and confused because of how convoluted the thing was that we were trying to work through. I don't know. I'm hoping it wasn't because of me. If it was because of me, I apologize. But I will always, I'll turn on the microphone for as many hours as possible to try to answer and help the confusement, the the, uh, the feelings of being confused and dazed, I, or dazed and confused. I will do everything I can to try to help that. But let's just be fair here. Some of these issues are just dazed and confused because obviously if they weren't so dazed and confused, there wouldn't be so much disagreement for 2,000 years. So I, I think I think some of these issues are just confounding and confusing for whatever reason. We could, we could try to figure out the reasons why it's that way, but if they weren't that way, there wouldn't be so much disagreement for 2,000 years. That's the way I feel about it. But here's... Here's what they ask. They said, they said this, I just finished the Days and Confused episode on 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And if I'm understanding correctly, we're not to look to our works for our assurance. Okay, let me stop right here. Now, let me make this clear. 95% of Christianity would tell you you should look to your works for your assurance. The only way the only way you're going to have assurance whether you are saved or not saved is by looking to your good works. I am in the minority of 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 the minority that says no, do not do that. And here is my reasoning. Please hear me out. Here is my reasoning. The minute I look to my works for assurance that I'm no longer looking to the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ, I'm looking to my imperfect works to give me assurance of salvation. Why would I look to that which is imperfect for assurance versus looking to that which is perfect? Which, if if you want assurance, where should you look? To the perfect work of Jesus Christ, perfect Complete. His perfect righteousness, which is imputed to me by faith, his perfect sacrifice, his perfect obedience, his perfect holiness, his perfect righteousness. Why would I not look to something that is perfect all the way through? Perfect sacrifice, perfect righteousness, perfect obedience. All of that is mine by faith. It is imputed to me. I am, and guess what? By faith, I'm declared to be perfect, holy, and righteous, and all my sins are forgiven. So why would I not look to that which is perfect to give me assurance? But instead, I'm like, no, no, sorry, Jesus. Sorry that you were perfect. Sorry that you were holy. Sorry that you were obedient. Sorry that you died for all my sins. But I'm not going to look to that. I'm going to look to my works, my works for assurance, my works that are always tainted by sin in some way, shape, or form, my works that are never perfect, my works that are constantly inconsistent because the works I may do on a Monday may not be the works I'm doing on a Tuesday. Why would I throw away the perfect for the imperfect to try to give me assurance? And if I look to my works for assurance, how, how secure is that assurance? Because the next day, a week from now, a month from now, 
my assurance, if it's based off those same works, may then fall completely apart. So how sure can you really be when you're looking at the imperfection of your own life and your own works versus how perfect can your assurance be when you look to the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ? What is my salvation based on? See, to me, I'm going to look at what my salvation is based on, which is the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's where my assurance should come from. To me, that's just a logical way of thinking. So yes, I would say don't look to your works. That's what I would say. Now, I know everyone else is going to disagree with me, and they're going to quote 1 John. They're going to quote James. I know where they're going to quote. We've worked on 1 John, which I believe is more of a polemic against Gnosticism. And it's, if, it's, if you're going to look at it as a test, it's a test to see whether you're following Gnosticism or you've turned to Jesus Christ. I think that's more it's about. I think James, there's a whole issue there about James and, and, and faith and how we're justified by our works and not by faith alone. Well, justified in what way? What does that mean? There, I think there's lots of, of theological issues to deal with. And I, so I'm not ignoring those texts, but I just think when you look at it from a logical perspective, why would I forego looking to the perfect to look to the imperfect for assurance? It makes no sense to me. It's almost like, hey, hey, guys, stop looking to Jesus. Stop looking to what he did on the cross. Look at yourself. It's like, here you go. You can look at the cross or you can look in a mirror. Look in the mirror to know if you're saved. Well, you look in the mirror to know if you're saved. I'm looking to the cross because if I look in the mirror and I'm even remotely honest with myself, I see a sinner who deserves damnation. That's, that's my perspective. So they go on to say this. I just finished the days and confused episode on Second Peter verses, uh, chapter one, verses one through twelve. And if I'm understanding correctly, we are not to look to our works for assurance. But chapter sixteen, paragraph two of the sixteen eighty nine Baptist Confession says, "Good works are evidences of faith, and by them believers strengthen their assurance." Very familiar with the London Baptist Confession. I have it right here. It is, we, we, we base much of our teaching in my church on the, the London Baptist Confession of Faith. We hold to that as a confession of faith, but we don't feel like that we have to be in line with everything in it because we believe scripture alone is the final authority. But I, I do believe that there are some things in the London Baptist Confession of Faith that they fall into the same trap everyone else falls into. And I think it is dazed and confused. And it is hard sometimes to reconcile how you can say this Hey, you're saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. But how do you know you're saved? You don't look to the imputed. You look to supposedly the righteousness that is produced by your faith, which would seem to mean you believe in an infused righteousness. I believe it does at times seem contradictory. And the reason it's contradictory is because Christians have been trying to figure this all out for 2,000 years, and nobody has any simple answers. Well, let's go back to paragraph one of chapter 16. Good works are only such as God has commanded in his holy word and not such as without the warrant thereof or devised by men at a blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention. So the good works are what God has commanded. Now, I believe whatever God commands is law, and that law simply shows us over and over and over our inability to fulfill those good works. See, that's, that's where my major issue is. I think anytime you go to the scripture and you see a, a command, do this, do th love God, love your neighbor, be holy. All of them are commands. Those are laws. If anyone is honest, when they see those laws, they will see their flaws. 
The law will reveal your shortcoming, will reveal your flaws. So every time you look to the law, yes, you may say, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm going to strive to do. This is what I want to do. But over and over and over, you're going to find yourself falling short of it because those laws demand a personal, perfect, exact, entire, perpetual obedience, which you're never going to pull off. And that even your good works are tainted. Even your good works are nothing more than filthy rags. That is true because we have a sinful nature and even our good is corrupted sometimes at the very essence of its motivation for doing it. Paragraph two, these good works are done in obedience to God's commandments. They are uh, and are the fruits and evidence of a true and lively faith. Now that sounds so good and they've got scripture to try to back that up. But here's the problem. Wait a minute. So if, if, my, if my good works prove that my faith is legitimate, well, then this is no longer looking to the imputed righteousness. This is looking to some kind of infused righteousness. Well, then how do I, what, how do I qualify? How do I quantify this, right? Because sometimes you can look like a good work and say, see, that proves that I'm saved, but that good work can be done for wrong motives and wrong reasons, or you could be even prideful or arrogant in said good work, which then would taint the good work and it would still be sinful. Remember the, the people in, and I think it's Matthew seven, where they're like, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these wonderful things? Didn't we do all these good works? Didn't we do all these signs and miracles? Didn't we preach? Didn't we heal? And Jesus is like, depart from me. I never knew you. So right there calls into question, looking to your good works to prove anything. But the minute you say, Hey, this proves your faith. Then you're not looking to imputed righteousness. You're looking to practical righteousness. And if you're looking to practical righteousness, how much practical righteousness must be present to prove whether your faith is genuine? See, it's a good theory. You can, it preaches good. It, it, like I can read it and I can preach it, right? These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're here this Sunday, you may have said that you believe in Jesus, but here's the question. Are you obedient to his commands? If you are not, then your faith is not genuine. It's a fraud. It's a dead faith. You are not saved. Oh, that preaches so good. That preaches great. I'll get a lot of amens. But if anyone was to stop and go, well, wait a minute. How many commands do I have to obey in order to prove that I'm saved? I'll give you just three. Everyone knows where I'm going. Love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Have you ever even come close to pulling that off? Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever come close to pulling that off? Be ye holy as he is holy. I guarantee you, you've never pulled that off. Those are three commands. You don't pull those off. So how are you going to prove that you're saved? Now, I know this. If I look to the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, Christ did love the father with all his heart, mind, body, and soul. Okay, so I'm good to go. He did love his neighbor as himself, and he was holy as God is holy. Therefore, in Christ, I fulfill all, I meet all those commands. And so I can say I have pure, complete assurance based off these good works that have been imputed to my account. But in my practice, I don't ever come close to those. It goes on here, and them believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edifying their brethren, and adorn uh, the profession of the gospel. 
Stop the mouths of the adversaries and glorify God, whose workmanship they are created in Christ Jesus thereunto, they having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end eternal life. So basically, hey, all all of your good works will do all of these things. The problem is your good works are never good enough. Your good works are never good enough. You're going to fall short every single day in thought, word, deed, internally, externally. You're going to fall short not only in thought, word, and deed, in your desires, in your motivations. Whenever you hold up the perfect law of God to your life, you're going to be horrified at how far you fall short. So back to the email. Let me read it all now together. I just finished the Days and Confused episode on 2 Peter verses chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And if I'm understanding correctly, we are not to look to our works for our assurance, but chapter 16, paragraph 2 of the 1689 Baptist Confession says, good works are evidence of faith, and by them believers strengthen their assurance. Please help me understand how these do not contradict each other. Listen, I look, I understand that I contradict what the London Baptist Confession of Faith says. I, I, I'm very aware of that conflict that I have with it, that I, I, that I struggle with that. I, I, I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Now, if you want to look to your work, if you want to look to your good works for your assurance, by all means, feel free to do that. I won't, I won't persuade someone not to do it. I would just say be honest. Ask yourself every day, do you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? Do you love your neighbor truly as yourself? And are you holy as God is holy? Now, those are just three simple commands. Three simple. They don't require Greek or Hebrew to interpret. They're very straightforward and very simple. Come on, how well do you do? How well do you do? Now, maybe you do them much better than I. I have never accomplished them. I fall short of them every single day. So if I'm looking to my good works to give me the assurance or to strengthen my assurance, I'm going to say every single day, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, unclean hands. I'm a man of unclean desires, and I deserve nothing but your wrath. But in Christ Jesus, I do do accomplish these things, and my, my assurance comes from what Christ did, not what I fail to do. Now, maybe others can pat themselves on the back and say, man, I have assurance because look at what I do. I can't do that. That may be because of my own sin, maybe because of my own weakness. If you can, more power to you. Just be honest. They go on to say there is a difference between the ground of our assurance and something that strengthens our assurance. The finished work of Christ is the free promise of the gospel grounds our assurance, but seeing the fruit of the Spirit strengthens that assurance. All right. Now, I do understand that concept. What is the grounds of my assurance? The grounds of my assurance is the finished work of Jesus Christ. What is what strengthens my assurance? Um, Well, what strengthens my assurance is looking at the fruit in my life. Again, if the grounds of my assurance is perfection, why would I look to imperfection to strengthen my assurance? 
How much more stronger can my assurance be if it's ba- if it's grounded on the perfection of what Jesus did and who he was and his holiness and righteousness? If the grounds of my assurance is the absolute perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and his obedience, which is imputed to my account by faith alone, what? why would I look to my imperfection my ups and downs, my inconsistency, and even my good works that are tainted by sin in some way, shape, or form. How would that give, how could that strengthen what I already have have in the perfect work of Jesus Christ? That's what I don't understand. If the grounds of my assurance is perfection, then why would I look to imperfection to strengthen that assurance? I don't know how imperfection could strengthen my assurance when it's already grounded on perfection. Someone says, this was a question and answer I read. I would like your thoughts. I think it seems like doublespeak. Well, I, I look, I believe... I don't want to accuse anyone of doublespeak. I will, I will, this is where I believe is inconsistent and confusing to me. This is where I get dazed and confused. Is that on one hand, non-Catholics, we yell and scream, we are not saved by an infused righteousness. We are saved by an imputed righteousness. That's what the entire Protestant Reformation was about, right? No, I am declared righteous before God because of an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. Well, an imputed righteousness, by definition, does not make me righteous in anything that I do. It declares me to be righteous even though I am not. So if I am saved completely by an imputed righteousness, then why would I look to a practical righteousness to prove it? Because I was saved by an imputed one that is perfect. But I understand why Christians get nervous when we say that because, like, whoa, 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 wait. Yes, you're saved by an imputed righteousness. However, however, if you don't do this, 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 you proved you were never saved because we have to find a way to ensure that people are supposedly doing the right thing and living a godly life because the last thing we would want is ungodly people thinking that they're saved. We want ungodly people to think that they're going to hell. So then we almost revert back to a works mentality. And I can understand that fear. Grace scares people to death. The idea that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. The fact that I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, not a practical righteousness. The fact that I'm saved by Christ's obedience, not my obedience. It it, it scares people because like, whoa, 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 but, 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 but. Okay, hey, 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 no, no, no. You may be saved that way, but if you don't do this and this and this, you were never saved. We almost have to come back and counter- We almost have to contradict everything that we've said because we're worried that sinful people will walk around claiming that they're saved. But let me tell you, every person who claims to be saved, they are sinful. So what they have to tend to do is find a certain level of, look, I do this and I do this. See, that proves that I'm saved. But they ignore all the things that they don't do. So I, 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 I do understand there's a contradiction. I don't understand why the non-Catholic world reverts back to a works-based system, but the non-Catholic world works, they revert back, they almost revert back to a Catholic system of, well, mortal and venial sins. There's no question about that, that the Protestant world has their own categories of mortal and venial, that they almost walk right back into an infused righteous mentality. 
and they almost work, walk right back into a workspace system. Even though they try to they try to use language to say that they're not doing that, when you really strip everything down, how do I know I'm saved? By what I do. And if I do this and this and this, I was never saved. Meaning I have to do these things in order to be saved. And how do I judge my salvation? Based off what I do, not what Christ did. So I'm looking to the imperfect to prove my salvation instead of looking to the perfect. Look, everyone else can run around and look to whatever they want and they can judge people and condemn people. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And by faith, his obedience, his perfection is imputed to me. And because of that, whatever test you give me, you can give me the first John test. You can give me the James test. I pass all of them in Christ Jesus. I may fail them in a practical way. So in a practical way, I may not be able to show my justification, quote unquote, to other people. Externally, I may fall short, but my salvation is not based off that. It's based off the finished work of Jesus Christ, which is perfect, which is imputed to my account. And you can't test imputation. If you want, put it this way, if you want to test my imputed righteousness, you can't test me. You would have to test the one whose righteousness was imputed to me. You would have to give those, you would have to give the first John test, the James test to Jesus. And he would pass all of them. Therefore, I pass all of them because I'm in Christ Jesus. That's the only way to look at it. So I do believe there's a kind, I think if you go to the London Baptist Confession of Faith and see how much they emphasize at the beginning on justification, that we're justified by an imputed, not an infused. And then the next thing they know, they revert back to this kind of good works mentality. But what's even more confusing? What's even more confusing? Even though they have this where you seem to, you get your, uh, where you seem to get your assurance from your works, look what they do. This is mind-boggling to me in, in the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Let me go back to the London Baptist Confession, right? Now, so they, they talk about good works. You have to have good, good works. This is where you get your assurance. And then look what they do here. This is absolutely crazy to me. All right? Uh, and then here we go. Par- paragraph 3 of chapter 17. And though they may, this is speaking of those who are saved, and though they may, through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them. So they already acknowledge that corruption remains in us. So that means we're never going to be perfect. We're always going to sin. And listen to this. We can fall into grievous sins for a time and continue therein. So even the London Baptist Confession of Faith acknowledges you could fall into a period of time of grievous sin. Well, then where would your assurance come from? Well, would you have to then say, well, you shouldn't have any assurance. Some would argue you shouldn't, if you fall into grievous sins, you, you should have no assurance of your salvation. You should, it should be stripped from you. But what value does it do to take away your assurance of salvation? Then it leads you to trying to fix your problem by supposedly getting saved again. But if you're already saved, getting saved again is not going to fix your problem. Unless you now then pretend that you did all of those things as a lost person, that that just seems to be counterintuitive. What you need to be told is, yes, you're in grievous sin. Here's God's law that condemns that sin. And what it should cause you to do is 
flee back to the fact that you've been saved by an imputed righteousness. But they even admit that you have a corruption and you can fall into grievous sin, meaning your assurance would always be, I mean, your assurance would only be good for the very moment that you're looking at. Okay, right now I know I'm saved. 30 minutes from now, I may not know that I'm saved. I could, I could, when I'm done broadcasting, I could walk down the steps of the studio, walk into the other part of the house, end up in an argument or fight, get mad at someone, say something I shouldn't say, yell, whatever the case may be. Well, then do I lose my, do I lose my assurance immediately? And some people will say, no, it's, it's, it's the overall direction. And, and we have to modify, constantly modifying what we mean. That is where my, my struggle would be. Someone, uh, hang on, just emailed me, says, thank you, I'm listening. Okay, well, awesome. Okay, um, I'm glad that they are listening. Um, I thought maybe they had an additional question or if I wasn't ar- articulating it clear enough. I'm trying my best to articulate it. I am very aware. Let me just make it very clear. I'm very aware of how outside of the majority my perspective is. I, and I'm willing to just, you know, live with that. But I, but I, and, and please understand my journey as a Christian, right? Say my salvation occurred in a Southern Baptist church, became a Lutheran, left Lutheranism to independent fundamental Baptist, massively influenced in the early Christian life by Lordship Salvation, MacArthur's Lordship Salvation, really was a major supporter of that, and then finally kind of moved away from that. And I don't like now being placed in any kind of camp other than I am basically it was my study at a Catholic university where I was really challenged that basically the Catholic professors, priests, teachers were like, wait a minute. They knew I wasn't a Catholic. They knew I was, you know, a quote unquote, a Protestant. And they basically challenged me. You do realize that that whole Lordship thing, you do realize so much of that. It's just Catholicism. Like it, you're, you're just as works based as we are. And when I was confronted with that, they were like, you know, that you claim you're saved by an imputed righteousness, but you look to an infused righteousness to prove your salvation. And if you commit certain sins, you believe you were never saved. Basically, like our understanding that if you commit certain sins, you're no longer in a state of grace. So, so they were like, it's, it's, you're basically, you're, you're trying to rely on works just as much as we're trying to rely on works. Now, of course, people who hold to lordship and other views would be offended by that. And be, you know, like, that's not true and that's not fair. But whenever you're looking to people's lives and saying, hey, look to the imperfect world of your works for assurance, to me, is troubling. Why would I point to someone? Why would I tell someone that if they want to know if they're saved, look to the inconsistent, imperfect, always corrupted in some way works that are demonstrated in your life? Why would I point someone to something so imperfect when I can say, look to Christ, look to his cross, look to his shed blood, look to his perfect righteousness. There you will find assurance. There you will find hope. There you will find comfort because I will never find any hope, assurance, or comfort by looking at my own life. Now, maybe you, maybe not only the emailer, maybe anyone else, maybe you feel like you can find assurance. And if you feel like you can find assurance by looking to your own life, then praise God. I mean, I mean that sincerely. If you, if your life is good enough to you to prove that you're safe. Now, remember God's standard, though. 
Be ye holy as he is holy. So when you look to your life, you better see the holiness of Christ because anything less than that, I don't know how you can find assurance. That's the standard. Be ye holy as he is holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If you can, if you can look to your life and say, I see perfection, so I know that I'm saved, great. But the game that is played is, no, well, we don't see perfection. It's just the overall direction. But the overall direction is such a fraudulent statement because you could be looking like you're moving in the right direction when inwardly there's a million issues going on that would contradict and possibly prove to everyone that you're not saved. So then you have to cover up. You have to clean up the outside of the cup. You have to clean up the outside of the tomb when inwardly there's nothing but decay, corruption, and death. And so then we turn, then Christianity is turned into a world of self-righteousness. We're all playing a part and nobody can be honest and real about what's going on inside. Because if people, if we let out what's really going on on the inside, we'd immediately be condemned to the third level of hell and be told that we were never saved. Meaning then Christianity operates on a whole game of pretend and pretense and self-righteousness. When the reality is the, everyone who listens to this program, you're a sinner. And the person sitting behind this microphone, I have failed. I have failed and sinned against God and thought word and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have sinned against God externally and I've sinned against God internally. I've sinned against God today. I've sinned against God yesterday, the day before, the day before, the day before, the day before. I, I, I am failing God probably right now in some thought, word, or desire that's not even being spoken right now. Well, if it's a word, it would be spoken, but it's a word. I'm talking about a word inside of me. My hope cannot be my life. My hope has to be in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But I understand that desire. I understand the fear that creates because we're like, we're going to end up with a worldly, ungodly Christianity. But guess what? I don't care what, you know what I know? I don't care the theology a church teaches. I don't care. They can be, teach liberal theology, conservative theology. They can te teach lordship. They can teach non-lordship. You can place them in any camp. You know what I know is true of every single church out there? The, the person preaching and the people in the pew, they're all sinners, and their lives show that sin all the time in some way, shape, or form. And sometimes it manifests itself in horrific ways, sometimes in smaller ways, but it's always present. And, any and once you start denying that, you're denying reality. And I wish for 2,000 years the church hasn't been so dazed and confused by this. I wish it was simple, and I wish it was straightforward. I wish the scriptures were a little bit more simple and straightforward, because sometimes it seems like, oh, I am saved by because of an imputed righteousness. And then other times it seems to say that I'm saved. I mean, look at the, the whole weird thing that, at, uh, at, that Romans 2, so if you've listened to our series on Romans, you know we've struggled through a lot of these issues. The Bible over and over says we're going to be judged according to our works. Well, how can I be judged according to my works if I'm saved by an imputed righteousness? Now, I think the only way this works is in Christ, his works are imputed to me, so I will be judged by my works, and my works will be sufficient to prove that I'm saved because it's the works of Christ that have been imputed to my account. That's the only way I can understand it. 
There's lots of those passages that you're like, well, wait a minute. That seems to contradict this. I understand that. And there's no easy answer. If there was an easy answer, there wouldn't be 75,000 different views on this subject. There would be agreement, but there's not agreement. There's not. There's, There's just not. I'm going to check, make sure there's no other emails have come through. I don't know if this helped. I know I've taken now almost 40 minutes to try my best to work through this. I, 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 I always feel bad because I wish I could just provide someone a simple answer. But the only answer I can give to pe- people, if you want assurance for your salvation, here's what I'm going to say. And people can condemn me to the 10th level of hell, but this is where I stand. I'm going to point people to the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to point them to the perfect and not to the imperfect. And our lives are imperfect. In Christ, in Christ, in my position, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. That is true in my position in Christ. There's the perfection. In practice, I'm not a new creature. Not all things are not new. No, The old is not gone. The old nature is still there, and I sin and thought, word, and deed. So I'm not going to have people look to a life where the sinful nature still resides, and I still sin and thought, word, and deed by what I do and leave undone for assurance. I'm going to say, look to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Look to the cross. See him hang there and bleed to pay for all of your sins. If all of your sins have been paid for, then why would, I mean, what more assurance do I need? All of my sins have been paid for, thought, past, present, and future. If all of them have been paid for, I don't, that's not only the grounds, that's the strength of my assurance. If in Christ Jesus, his perfect obedience, as the London Baptist Confession would say, his passive and active obedience is imputed to my account, that's not only the grounds, that's the strength of my assurance. That's where I stand on the issue. I know everyone else disagrees with me. And all I ask for the people who disagree is just be honest with what's going on, how you think. Be honest with how you feel. Be honest with what you do. See yourself in light of God's holiness. Constantly see yourself in light of God's holiness. And I think you'll constantly see yourself like Isaiah did. Woe is me, I am undone. You'll pronounce a curse on yourself. When Isaiah said, woe is me, he was as a prophet pronouncing a curse upon himself. You will pronounce a curse upon yourself. Every day when I look to God's word, woe is me, I am undone. Every time I look to God's word, anytime I look to any scripture that says, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, I know I fall short. My only hope is what Jesus hanging on that cross, dying for me. Perfectly. His righteousness imputed to me. Now that doesn't change that I'm not supposed I'm not saying in any ways, well, I should I shouldn't care about what God calls me to do. No, I should care about what he calls me to do. But I start with uh the the understanding that I fall short of it, but Christ didn't. And then because of what Christ did for me, hopefully that motivates me to at least try to live out, no matter how imperfectly it may be, and practice what is true positionally. 
and I wish I could offer something better, but I can't. That's the best I have. All right, I'm going to look one more time. All right. Okay. Yes, I, 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 I am. Uh, you, I am saying that you should have. Okay, I'm reading their email. They're like, no, no assurance for my work. So I need assurance that my disagreeing with the answer was acceptable. I, I, if I, I completely agree with your disagreeing with the answer. Just know that that will put you in the minority of 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 the minority. Uh, that that if we disagree with what some claim that works is the strengthens our assurance. If we disagree with that, that will put you in the minority of the minority of the minority of Christianity. You will find yourself almost feeling ostracized like you're living on an island of misfits because everyone's going to tell you you're wrong. So I, if you want to disagree with, with it, then you're, you'll be, you'll be on the island of misfits with me because there's only about three or four of us there because everyone else thinks we're wrong and everyone else thinks that we've committed some grand heresy when all I'm trying to do is like, no, my only hope, my only hope for strength, my only hope for the grounds, my only hope for everything is the perfect work of Jesus Christ, his obedience, passive and uh, his active and passive obedience being imputed to me by faith alone. Then I can be declared to be perfect, righteous, and holy, even though clearly I am not. Does that does that excuse my actions that fall short? No, it doesn't excuse it. Should I str- strive to be holy? Yes, I should. But I can't look to any of my works for anything other than constantly demonstrating why I need the imputed right works of Christ. So if you disagree with that answer that was given in the email that you provided where you showed that, that then we're on the same page. If you, if you disagree with me, that's okay as well because most people do. But if you're in agreement with me, then just realize you've just placed yourself on the island of misfits and there's not a lot of us there. So, uh, and most people will view you're a heretic, so you probably should just not tell anyone. Let them walk around thinking that they're saved because of what they do. And you just rest assured that you know you're saved because of what Christ did. Because I'm telling you, if you start, at least for some of us, maybe we're too sensitive to our sin, some may say. But because I am so aware of my sin, I know that if I was to look to myself, I would determine already that I'm lost and that I'm never going to be saved. Because no matter how much I've worked and how much I've strived, the one thing I have learned in my Christian life is I fall short constantly. So I know I have to look to something other than myself. All right. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I know it's Thursday. We're way behind in our Bible study exercise. We're supposed to be in John 8 this week. I'm going to be trying to figure that out. We'll be doing some live broadcast here a little. I'm going to, I got to find some lunch after I've had some lunch. We'll try to come up with some plans here and uh, 
see what we can do the rest of this uh, afternoon and this evening. See if we can get some things accomplished to catch up. I very much appreciate this person taking the time to email me. Um, if this if this did not help, or if you're still a little confused, feel free to email me back. And if need be, I can give you my phone number and you can call me and we can talk it through on the phone so that I can uh, respond to you in real time and I can try my best to, to help you out if this was helpful. I hope it was helpful. I hope. I hope. All right. Thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And all I would say to anyone listening today, if you need assurance of your salvation, Turn your eyes from everything else and only focus on the absolute perfection of Jesus Christ, his death and shed blood and his righteousness and perfection being imputed to you. Rest in his finished work. Rest in his righteousness. Because when you stand before God, it's only his righteousness that will be sufficient. All of your works, no matter how good you think they are, will never be sufficient to please an absolutely an absolutely holy God who demands perfection. But Christ, true God, true man, was perfect, was holy, was tempted as all points as we are, yet without sin. That perfection is yours. All of your sins have been paid for by his shed blood. That is where you can find hope. That is where you can find assurance. That is where you can find rest. If you look anywhere else, you'll never find rest. You'll never find assurance if you're honest with yourself. Thanks for listening. God bless.